just a, I guess just as an introduction today, I wanted a couple of things I wanted to visit with you about. First, I just wanted to share my testimony with you, kind of how I came to know the Lord, how the Lord sought me out and found me. And then secondly, about what I do in my business as far as what we do on a day-to-day basis, because a lot of people don't know what funeral directors do. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak to Jim Carlson's class. They come down to the funeral home, and those gentlemen that are going into pastoral studies, I give them the tour of the funeral home, and um, usually lots of questions arise, and what do I do, and how do you do what you do? So I'll touch on that a little bit. And then how, how God works in our business, how he guides and how he leads myself and my wife, who's an integral part of what we do down at Doc and Nelson. But uh, just to start with, I grew up here in Bozeman. Um, wasn't born here, unfortunately, so I'm not a native. Moved here when I was back here when I was four with my folks. Um, attended a church um, that actually used to be right across the street from Grace. Most of you don't aren't familiar with the old building, probably, but the St. James Episcopal Church. And Grew up going to church and, and those things, and I guess um, probably one of my most remembrances, it's interesting how God works in your life before you're a believer. Um, I remember when probably early teens, I, every Sunday night, without fail, I would lay in my bed and I would wonder, what happens when I die? Am I going to be sitting in a box in the ground for eternity? And I don't, maybe that's God's sense of humor getting me into the funeral business. I don't know. But this was an ongoing thing. This was, I would dread Sunday nights for some reason because this was what I would think about. And I would lay in bed till one or two o'clock in the morning, just terrified. I'd be sweating. I'd be like, what happens next? Um, I had the great opportunity to meet a friend when I was going to high school. I think I was a junior. And she, uh, she, one comment that always stuck with me, and she was, she was a believer, and she told me, you know, Chris, if you're, the whole thought process, if you're good, you're going to heaven, and you're bad, you're going to hell, just doesn't work. And of course, being in a mainline church, that's kind of what I always believed. So I thought, hey, I was okay, I wasn't as bad as I could be, I was a pretty moral person, but she said those things to me, and, and then started kind of coaching me along. She shared the gospel with me, and being thick-headed and kind of being a knucklehead, it didn't quite catch on, so I was enjoying my sin and doing what I was doing until probably about my sophomore year of college. Um, the Lord really just brought me to my knees. I was at a low point, and it was, um, I can still vividly remember it. It was in my apartment, and I just woke up one morning, got on my knees, and asked God into my life, and that was kind of the starting point, I would say that there was lots of ups and downs in between there, but God, thankfully, is faithful, because I certainly haven't been down that. Um, if it was up to me, as we all know, we, wouldn't, uh, we would be doing our own thing. So that's kind of where my, my journey with the Lord started. It was about a sophomore in, in, uh, in college, and uh, have been fortunate enough to be attending Grace since about that time. I would wave to my folks as they came out of church across the street and walked into the Grace Bible Church, and everyone would wonder why I was over there. But it's been a total blessing to be here at Grace and sit under Pastor Brian's teaching. And um, by God's grace, I'll continue to grow and learn and, um, in my process of sanctification. So that's kind of the, the quick testimony as far as how, I'm, how I became to know the Lord. Um, I've been a funeral director. I started... Wow, 20 years in February, I'll be with, I've been with Doc and Nelson Funeral Service, and um, it was never my intention. People always like, is this something you grew up wanting to do? And no, it wasn't. Um, I went to Montana State University. I graduated with a finance degree. Um, my intention was to stay in Bozeman, either become a banker, 
be an investment guy, make lots of money. And uh, while I was going to school at MSU, a friend of, the, of uh, my family owned, owned the funeral home. And basically what ended up happening is I'm sure my name came up in conversation at a dinner conversation with my folks that he needed help. So I was going to college. I would help him drive cars. I would help him go out and make removals if the, someone had passed away. And so that's kind of how my introduction came into the business. Um, as that happened, after I graduated from college, I continued to do that for him part-time. And then one day he came up to me and said, hey, why don't you go to mortuary school? You can come help me out here. And when you're ready to take this thing over and I'm ready to retire, that's kind of was his exit strategy. So I was working construction full-time at the time, and so this looked like a pretty good option. So I went to mortuary school for a year down in Dallas, and as I say, 20 years ago in February will have been uh, my start full-time in this. So it's just a, um, obviously God's leading. It wasn't anything I ever, it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even know where the funeral home was, but it just is a, a testimony to God and just how he guides and, and puts people in your life and um, allows you to kind of do the things that you do. Um, people always ask me, how do you do what you do day in and day out? Well, my wife and I, Monica, we look at this as a ministry. There's a lot of different ways. Any, obviously, any job opportunity, you can, you can view it as a way to make money. You can view it as a way to, you know, hold yourself up on a pedestal. But Monica and I really, truly look at it as a ministry to help people in a time of need. Um, they're not choosing to come to our place. They don't want to be at our place, and our, our, object, our goal is to make this process as simple and as painless as possible for people. It's never easy, but we're there to listen. We're there to be compassionate. We're there to, however we can serve them, um, is really what our goal is. Um, it's, it's not always downtrodden and morbid. People are like, how do you deal with people that are always grieving and mourning? And I would say most of the time, the families that we meet with, 90% of the time as we sit around this table and we visit with families, they're, they're laughing, they're sharing stories, they're sharing favorite remembrances, but there are obviously times where there are, there are families that are grieving. And what I found most of all, and I, I learned this from Chaplain Warren Hebert, and most of you probably know him, he's, when people are grieving, the best thing you can do is just listen. You know, we always think, boy, I've got to have the perfect words for this person, or I've got to be able to do this. If you can just sit in the room with them, you may not say a word, and that's all they need. And a lot of times, that's what we do. We'll sit, and they'll tell stories for two hours. We didn't accomplish a doggone thing as far as getting funeral arrangements made, but that, it was, that's helpful for them. Um, and so that's, that's one of the, the greatest satisfactions about my job when people ask, why do you do what you do, is there'll be a family that doesn't know me from Adam, and I guess kind of as a background, most of the time when we're doing a funeral, we're going to... We're looking at a, maybe a five-day window, a seven-day window. So we're going we're gonna to walk into someone's house that we don't even know. We're going to pick up their loved one that's passed away, and we're going to get together with them that day, the next day, and we're going to put all these funeral arrangements together, and within five days, we're going to have a service, and that's that. So they have to have a great deal of trust in us, and I guess my biggest satisfaction from what I do is at the end of that five-day period is when that person gives you a hug and says thank you. Because how many other jobs do you have when you've got someone that you've known for five days is going to give you a big hug when they didn't know you from Adam? And that's all it takes. It's just that's that. Um, I guess that's why we do what we do. It's not because of the money. It's not certainly because of the hours, because those are extremely goofy. 
Um, but it's, it's just a, a real blessing to serve people that way. Um, one thing, I guess, a myth that I will dispel, we do not deal with dead bodies all day long. People always think a mortician, you must just be totally warped. How do you deal that? 90% of my job is working with the families. 10% of it is dealing with the deceased, whether that's picking up from the place of death, whether that's embalming the body, whether that's preparing the body for cremation or burial. Very small piece of what we do. Um, and that's, I think, another reason why we do what we do, because we have the opportunity to share and, and to be a comfort and a minister to these families. There are, there are areas of the country, big cities, there are people that all they do is embalm bodies all day long. They never meet with a family because they're so busy. They specialize in this. This person will meet with families all the time, and this person takes care of all the services. But being in a smaller community, we do everything. We, from making a removal from the time of death at 2 o'clock in the morning to finishing out the services. And that's another nice thing about what we do. Continuity-wise, we try with our families. If, I, if I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning and have a call, the family, I meet with them at the house, obviously, or wherever the place of death is. I meet with them throughout the process. So when they come in to make arrangements, it's me that they see when they come in the door. It's TJ or it's Stephanie. I'm the one that's at the service. So we try and keep that continuity for families as they come through. So it's just a, it's, it's very nice to do what we do in a small community. Um, there's, there's, a, there's accountability to it because you're going to see that person again in the grocery store. And you just have to be, um, I guess, from a standpoint, kind of our one of the verses that I think of is Proverbs sixteen nine, or excuse me, Proverbs ten nine. It says, "Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out." And I think just that that level in, of integrity that you have, I can I can walk downtown and I can look someone in the eye that I've served in the past and know that in all good conscience that we have served them well and we haven't taken advantage of them. And, and unfortunately, our business, you see the 60 Minutes and the 2020 stories and all these things of how these funeral directors do all these random things, and obviously that's what makes news stories, but um, certainly that's not what our business is about. Um, as I mentioned, probably the most rewarding part of our job is just the families that we get to meet, but also there's the, the, the disappointments, the um, the young people that those are the hardest parts of our job when you lose a fam when a, lo- a young child dies um, and how you deal with that that just makes for a long week and i in even i 've actually found some of the tougher ones are when a young child loses a parent or a loved one because they don 't understand the process um, you know mom mom was here yesterday why isn 't she here today and trying to help them work through that so those are very difficult situations that we um, that we work with. Um, I also often get asked, how do, do you ever have an opportunity to witness or to share the gospel with families that come in? And as, as you know, our society is certainly becoming less and less church. So there are a lot of people that come through our doors that want to do something as far as a service, but they have no church home. They have no, they have no guidance, no direction whatsoever. And I guess I've always been pretty sensitive to the, to sharing the gospel. It's kind of difficult in our little our little short period of time when I'm meeting with a bunch of people, but I guess I've, I've established relationships with Chaplain Hebert and another, a number of other Christian pastors, obviously, that are believers, that I try and connect them up with them. So if they don't have a church home, that's someone, Warren Hebert can tell you lots of stories of families that he served to where 
two weeks after the service of their struggling, they're calling Warren. So maybe that time of that five-day period where everything is just hectic and chaotic isn't the perfect setting for sharing the gospel with these people. Maybe two weeks down the road when they call, or call Warren, or even if they call us, we can visit with them. So it doesn't always lend itself to do it right then in the heat of the moment. And um, unfortunately, our trend with the way funerals are going is most of the fam. Well, I shouldn't say most. A good portion of the families that we're dealing with now, about 75% are choosing cremation as far as their method of disposition. Of that 75%, probably 75% of those families are choosing to do nothing as far as services or ceremonies. So what we refer to as simple cremation services or direct cremation services, um, so we never see them again. They come in, we make all the arrangements for preparing the body for cremation, they sign all the authorizations, they don't have any services. There's nothing, no obituaries. It's just kind of very simple. So there, the, a lot of those opportunities are lost on those families. We always do, um, with all of our families that we serve, we send aftercare information about a month after. Again, so that's another way that we can try and connect and serve them and minister to them, giving them opportunities. We've got book a book that we, we would send them. Um, so those are always ways that we can connect even with those families that we don't have the opportunity um, to, to work with during the services and whatnot. So that's kind of a synopsis of, of what we do, and I'm going to hopefully have a little bit of time at the end. You can ask questions because it always seems like people always have one or two questions. You'll find It's interesting. My, my line of work and my wife laughs at this. She goes, if someone asks me what I do, I get two responses. One is the subject changes immediately because they want nothing to do with the subject of death, or I'm there for an hour because they have 101 questions they want to know about what I do and what happens. So it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, um, so hopefully we'll, I'll give you, we'll have a few minutes to do that. And um, just when I was visiting with Tasha, she was asking about you know, how the Lord works and leads in our business. And, um, you know, we, we are. We're just totally dependent on God. And I guess Proverbs 69 says, the, ma- the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And you know, obviously, I had a plan for my life before I got, when I got out of college, but the Lord had other plans. And even with our business, we are truly, totally dependent on God. I mean, we can obviously serve the families well that we serve, but we can't go out and generate business. We get in trouble for that. We can't, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, so those, those are those things. I mean, it's not, we can't have a sale. We can't, I mean, the Lord provides. And so we just hold everything with an open, people are like, it's interesting because the two individuals that work for me that aren't believers, they always get nervous when nothing, nothing happens for a while. I mean, death doesn't happen. It's not like we have one death call every year and we end up with 365 deaths a year. Well, we may end up serving 365 families, but we may have 10 this week and zero next week and, or for two weeks. So they always get nervous about, oh, what are we going to do and how are we going to pay the bills and you know what? We're not in control of those things. And I guess we are truly in a business where it is just God is going to provide. We're going to serve the families well that we have that opportunity to serve. So um, it is just thankful that I have an eternal perspective on those things because it's not, it's not up to me. It's up to the Lord, and he will provide and will honor him however, however he sees fit. Um, and that eternal perspective, I think, is, is I really have, it just it actually gives me a comfort and a peace just as a number of other business owners that I know with their own funeral homes, their only concern is the bottom line. That is all they think about. How can we generate more revenue? Okay, we're only going to have 200 calls a year. How can we get more money out of this deal? And it's, 
it's pretty depressing, really, because they're, they're, the focus is only on that. And, it's, and, and mind you, they serve their families well. I mean, these guys can tell you down to the penny how much money they spend. on. That's what they spend all their time doing. Okay, if I, this cost me this much, and this cost me this much, then I need to charge this much, or how can I get this much? So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a different way of doing business. And is that wrong? Probably not. In the world's eyes, no. My wife would tell you I'm too lax. I should probably know more of those details, but I guess I just I trust that the Lord's going to provide, and I just don't want to get caught up in that minutia of all I'm thinking about all the, all the time is how are we going to make ends meet and how much money is this. I mean, yes, I have an understanding. I have a grasp of what that looks like, but it isn't the only thing I think about. So um, the, one, the other thing that Tasha asked me about, just from a, a personal perspective as far as how God works through my life, I guess... With the business, we've been very blessed and very, um, since we've taken over the business eight years ago, God has really provided for us. And so it's really taught me about humility. I just, to humble myself, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking, oh, look what we've done. We're doing great things here. And just to try and keep an even keel and realize that it is, it is God that's in control and it's nothing that I have done. Um, that is that has given me this blessing. So I think it's that's one of the biggest things that uh, I'm just so thankful for is just God constantly teaching me. I mean, things are going well, but at the same time, just trying to be humble and keeping an even keel on things, um, and also balance balance between work and home. You can spend your entire day ministering to people and trying to meet their needs, and then I come home and I'm shot, and I'm sure. Gail and, you know, you, the other people that are in the ministry, you see that. You come home, it's like, I don't know if I can talk to another person. And, you know, it's, I, I listen to families for three, four hours a day sometimes, and I come home and I need to veg, but my family needs me. So the Lord is really working to help me with that balance, too. Just when I come home, I need to be available for my wife. I've got two daughters, 11 and 13, so you can't just check out. So those are some of the other things that... Um, that the Lord is working on me as far as trying to trying to do those things. Um, I think we've got. I think I'll wrap it up there. I've got about five minutes. Um, one thing I would challenge you on. Obviously, most of you are young and healthy and don't think about things like death and dying. But I would challenge you. You probably have parents that the conversations. The, we call it a talk of a lifetime. Do you know what your family members want? And that's one of the biggest things we see when families come in. You'd be amazed at how many people have no idea what their mom or their dad wanted to do for services. And as far as having some idea really lowers the level of stress when you come if you have to meet with the funeral director. And I've done it with my folks. My mom wanted nothing to do with it. I handed her this booklet. She filled it out. She said, it's in the drawer. I said, great. I'll look at it if something happens. But, I mean, it just it's a great conversation to have. Do you know what your wishes are? If you're married, does your spouse know what your wishes are? My wife and I had that conversation, and I would have had it really screwed up. She asked me about three or four years ago, she said, if I were to die, Chris, what would you do? And her whole family lives in Hardin, which is east of Billings. Her grandparents are burying there. Her folks, I said, well, I'd bury you in Hardin, beside your grandparents and your parents, where your parents are going to be. She's like, no. You don't go there now to visit. You certainly wouldn't go there to visit me if I was there. So, <laughs> so simple conversation. I know now that Monica does not want to be buried in Harden or whatever, cremated and buried in Harden, however that looks. So anyway, simple conversations with your folks. If they, I mean, that's a great starter. Um, we have information. 
all funeral homes do, but it is just very helpful to even start that conversation to get some of those things put together. Anyhow, I've got about five minutes, I think, so before you've got other classes, questions? Yeah. So, I mean, when someone's hungry, they've seen commercials, and they go, oh, yeah, McDonald's, that sounds great. But when somebody dies, how, how do they get information of what's available? Do they Google? I mean, is it Yellow Pages? What tends to make your business available? You know, probably in a small community like we are, most of our information is word of mouth. My wife does a lot of the marketing piece of it as far as we have TV commercials and things like that. And it's, it's, I liken it to like a hearing aid commercial. You know, you see them on TV or whatnot. You don't need, you don't need it till you need it. And then it's, like, it's kind of top of mind awareness. So that's primarily where most of our, we talk to most all our families um, when they come in. We ask, you know, if you don't mind, how, how did you decide to choose or how did you select Doc and Nelson? Previously served, word of mouth saw your ads, you know, things, things like that. But most internet is probably the primary thing now. People will go online, they'll look at your website, they're going to look at your facilities. And I'll have people, um, it's not uncommon now that people will actually pre-plan or they'll think of things in advance, and they'll go to, there's two funeral homes in Bozeman, they'll come both places. I mean, you almost, it's like a job interview. I mean, they're coming in, they're asking you about your prices, they're looking at your facility, they want to they wanna visit with you, and just how, they want to have that comfort level, which by all means makes great sense, because if you're going to sit down with someone, you want to be comfortable with them, you want to know what, and so in your hometown, you can certainly do that. I mean, some people are geared specifically at a price point, others are, hey, let's just Go down and look at the facilities. Let's visit with the funeral home. And, and so they want to have that comfort level so it's not totally foreign to them if something were to happen. But it's a great question. I would say most of the families in Bozeman, it's more, mostly reference. It's word of mouth that people have, or relationships, I should say, either people that we know, and that's probably 70% of the families that come to see us are relation, relationship-based, either by word of mouth or just knowing one of us at the funeral home or having an acquaintance of some sort. Yes? Two questions. Neither are related, I guess. Do you or your staff provide the services if they want, uh, conduct the services? That's question one. Question two is what does the average funeral cost these days? Okay, great question. Yes, we have done services that way. Um, they actually, I've done like two or three different gravesides at time. A couple of them not planned, but, you know, one of those things like, oh, we've got this all covered, and you show up, and they look at you and go, you're it. So, no, it works fine. Happy to do. Um, primarily, as I say, usually what we'll try and do is line someone up to do those. But, yeah, TJ's done some. I've done some. The current trend is they're actually they're training what they call trained celebrants. Because so many people are not churched anymore, they want someone to get up there and basically tell the stories and eulogize and do those things and pretty much void of any scripture or anything to do with God is what these trained celebrants are. And they're basically funeral directors that have gone through this training process. Um, so yes, I have, not, on great, not with great regularity. Um, it seems that most of the families that are doing services anymore actually have a church home. We're finding the people that don't have church homes are doing the simple cremation without any services or ceremonies. They may just go have a picnic in the park or um, you know, something at the house as opposed to a funeral or a ceremony of that sort. Services can vary. Um, I would say dealing with cremation services, I would say an average cremation service probably about $3,500 to $4,000. And when I say that figure, that's including all expenses as far as obituaries and cemetery charges if we're going to the cemetery. And then 
For burial services, probably closer to $6,500. Primary difference in that is your casket selection. Your expenses are a little bit more at the cemetery. Um, so those are fairly, fairly good averages for Bozeman, and that varies from, from place to place. Mm-hmm. Yes? As far as the grieving process, um, we do. We have a, a, some book. Dr. Alan Wolfeld, who's a grief specialist, who's actually we've brought to Bozeman a couple times to, to come, and um, not a believer, unfortunately, but very, very practical with um, application of how people work through the grief process. Um, I think the biggest thing in our biggest mentality we have as Americans is the faster we do this, the less it's going to hurt. It's kind of the fast food mentality. Um, And I think that's the same way with services. People think the quicker we get through this, the less it's going to hurt. But as you know, if you love someone or love something, if you lose it, you grieve for it. Um, And and so in this booklet, it walks you through that process as far as, is it normal that I'm feeling this? Is it normal that I'm angry? Is it normal that... All the, that I can't remember anything. And so it walks them through that process, and, it, and it, it does tie in the spirituality aspect of it as well. But a lot of people just, they haven't been through the process, and they're like, am I normal? Is what, have I totally lost my mind here, or why is it that I can't function? And the answer is yes, you're normal. That is just, I mean, we talk to families that have a loss. I mean, the first day, you're just hoping you're still breathing in and out. You know, and it's like, and then the next day we're going to hopefully we'll make it through this, this hour. And so there's that gradual process and people a lot of time have an avoidance to it. And a lot of times that leads them down a bad path as well. The only way through the grief process is actually through it. You can't ever go around it and you're going to always end up with issues otherwise. They're not dealing with it, yeah. which yeah. is very common. They're just avoiding it. And then it's easier for them not to see you because yeah. if they see you, they remember him. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And, and I would say, and on our site, on our website, there's Dr. Alan Wolfeld has this series called Grief Notes and that we subscribe to. And there's just little tidbits. It's not a book. And, and some of those things might be things you could pass on to them. Um, I can give you the reference for the books. It's called Walking um, the Wilderness of Grief. But, I mean, they're, they're simple books. They're not these big, heavy things that, you know, you have to muddle through. But it just, and each person, if you don't deal with it, it, it never goes away. I mean, because you've got you've to deal with it. In the process of that, everyone's like, when am I going to be normal? Well, you're not going to be normal. It's not going to be as it was before. It's going to be a new normal. You should be able to function and, 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 and be in life and, and be in, in people's lives and, and still be there without your dad, but it's, it's a new normal. It's never going to be the same as it was when he was there, and that's, you know, you're with your grandparents. That's the difficult piece. If they don't start that process, well, then they're never going to get there. It's just hard because when you're, like, kind of the thing that triggers that, you're like, where can I right. do this? Right, and the, again, if you're a triggering point, they, 
probably have an avoidance to that if they're not wanting to deal with it. So that's tough. But I do, I've got some resources I can get for you if you wanted to. You can send it to them, and hopefully they'll look through it. it might, something might click. Yes? Um, good question. How do I deal with differing families? Obviously, you've got the, the Christian family or a believing family and then the family that's, not a, non-belie- that's a non-believer. All the time. I'll tell you one thing. The difference, the way those two, handle, those two families handle that situation, opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, it is a family, that's, a family that's lost a loved one that doesn't have a hope in Christ. I mean, they just... They're lost. They are just grief-stricken. Just it, it's it's amazing how they don't. It, it's so hard to tell. You could sit in the room and and without without just looking at them, you could probably you could differentiate them without hearing a word of what was being said. Their body language. Um, families that you know you know are believers. You you pray with them and you you know you can have that dialogue with them. Where the ones that aren't, it doesn't lend itself to do that. Um, but it is opposite ends of the spectrum as to how families that have lost loved ones. And does that mean it's easier? No. But their, their hope in Christ is that their loved one is now in heaven, whereas the others are like I was in my early teens. It's like, where am I? Where am I going? And what does this look like? What's the purpose here? And it's hopefully, you know, the Lord softens their heart and helps them. I mean, because obviously during the funeral, that's usually when people think about life and death issues. So that's a great time for them to hopefully introspectively look at things. It's, I guess it's fairly common because it's, you know, you deal, or you'll deal with family members, a couple of the kids are believers, and then you have this because they've got differing expectations of what that service is supposed to look like or what they want that message to be. Um, it's, it, I've had families that have come in that have pre-planned everything that were a believer and their kids weren't, and this is the way it's going to be. So those are always interesting, and I always tell them you should visit with your kids about this because they need to be... So it's... I, it's the, the the occurrence of it. Usually, most families either are or aren't. There are some variations, you know, to where there'll be a couple of family members that are or aren't believers. But you just, and again, you walk a balance because I can't. Johnny's telling me this, and Susie's telling me this, and they both have equal authority as to what's going to happen with their mom's disposition. So you sometimes end up at kind of the the moderator between these two things and trying to find a happy median. I have had instances where I've asked the family. I just tell them you guys need to go and have a meeting and figure out how we're going to do this because we're not getting anywhere because they're just button heads. And that's usually those kind of issues. Yes? Are the, like, booklets or things you send out, are they biblical or are they practical? They're more, the ones that I've got are more practical. Um, the Dr. Wolfeld ones that I've got, I do have some that are more biblical in nature, but the one we send out generically just to Dr. Alan Wolfeld, he's more secular and, and just practical applications. Yes? Uh, how has evolving changed over the years, do you know? 
It hasn't much. Um, obviously, if you go way back to the Egyptian times where the canoptic jars and things like that, if you've read about history, they would do all kinds of weird, they'd pull the organs out and do all these things. Um, the embalming process is very simple. Um, we're using the circulatory system. Um, people always wonder, do you take out the organs? And it's not. We actually, um, simple incision, maybe a couple inches long, either raising using the femoral artery and femoral vein, carotid artery, jugular vein. Um, and you're just using the circulatory system. We have a pump that has a solution, that, which is the embalming solution that uses to preserve the body. Obviously, the process of embalming is you want to preserve the body so it's available for viewing. Your restoration of the body, you're going to give it more lifelike features because the tinting in the embalming chemical. And, and then also, we're doing it for safety reasons, um, obviously, it disinfects the body as well. So it hasn't changed a great deal. Um, bombing process takes a couple hours typically, but um, you know they've invented different solutions and things like that. They even have like green green chemicals now that you put in the embalming solution instead of using formaldehydes and glutaraldehydes for people that are more interested in um, eco-friendly or more green burial type of situations. But the embalming process itself very simple. We're not moving organs or doing anything like that. We're using what God has given us as a circulatory system. This machine just pumps the, the solution in, and it just moves around your veins just like your blood does. So very basic. The embalming? Like if... See, this is the guy that I have to sit with for an hour when he has all the questions. Now, um, I've held bodies for a couple months, which is, not, and you can go longer than that. There's nothing, you know, you're probably not having visitations two months down the line, but the embalming process, I've, I've disinterred bodies that were, had been embalmed for, that were embalmed that had been in the grave for 30 years. They're still all there and intact. Not like they were at the time, but any, but yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, not bad. I mean, really, the, the process itself will preserve a body for a great, great period of time. Well, I know we're short of time. I'll stick around for a bit. If anyone has questions, I'll just close this in prayer. But thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time we could gather this morning. We thank you for these students that are here at NBC, Lord. I just pray that you would be an encouragement to them, Lord, that you would uh, guide and direct their paths and whatever vocations they choose, Lord, and that you would just be honored in their lives. Thank you for the opportunity to share what you have done in my life, and uh, Lord, just pray that uh, you would continue to guide and direct uh, my life and our business as we go forward. Lord, we just honor, we give you all the honor and praise. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.